Welcome back to Cunningham's Law Review, where our goal is to listen to the top artists and songs of the last 100 years, starting in 1920 and working our way forward. Four days a week, we review what we hear and share the history of popular music with you, as we do. I'm Richie, and you're listening to Side A of episode 1921-4, where today we'll be listening to the new Cunningham's artist, Ethel Waters, who was the fifth black woman ever recorded, and Fanny Bryce, the original funny girl. We'll also be checking back in on Mamie Smith, Frank Crummett, and Isham Jones. Let's start by taking a look at some of the new artists that we'll be listening to in today's music, including Ethel Waters and Fanny Bryce. Ethel Waters was born in 1896 in Chester, Pennsylvania, and she grew up in poverty among family who she never felt connected with. She had a rough childhood and said, quote, I never was a child. I never was cuddled or liked or understood by my family. But her childhood was ended early as she married at the extraordinary age of 13, leaving that marriage before she was 17 to work as a maid in Philadelphia. While attending a party at the hotel she worked for, she was convinced to sing on stage where she wowed the audience so much that she was offered professional work starting out at the Lincoln Theater in Baltimore. Touring relentlessly with traveling vaudeville performing acts, she eventually started traveling with a carnival before leaving them to work in Atlanta alongside Bessie Smith, who we will absolutely be talking about in future episodes. Now, Smith demanded that the club they performed for not have two blues acts, and so Waters ended up singing standard popular songs instead of blues. In 1921, she would become the fifth black woman to make a record and would be the highest paid black recording artist at the time for Black Swan Records. Black Swan, founded by Henry Pace, was the first black-owned record label with wide distribution capabilities and named after concert performer Elizabeth the Black Swan Greenfeld, who was the first African-American performer to perform before British royalty. Ethel Waters would go on to have many hits, but in the early 50s, facing severe obesity, tax problems, and a lack of career options, she found Billy Graham's church and was born again as a rededicated Christian. This change in the direction of her life would lead her on a path to gospel music recognition and a renewed sense of purpose. Fanny Bryce, born in 1891 Manhattan, by 17 would have dropped out of school to work as a burlesque dancer. Now, Fanny Bryce is another person that we're going to spend a little more time with as a standalone episode in the coming weeks. But for now, it'll suffice to say that Fanny Bryce would go on from a musical career to end up with two separate stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one in radio and one for film and she would later be portrayed by Barbara Streisand in the iconic 1968 Funny Girl. Now that we've discussed the new artists that we'll be looking at today, let's get back to three facts that you need to know about these previously discussed artists, starting with Mamie Smith. Now, Mamie Smith was one of the very first artists that we covered in Cunningham's Law Review, 1920-1, because she was the first black woman to record vocals on a blues track and would define that sound for generations. Her performance would lead to the creation of an entirely new industry in music called race records by proving that not only would black audiences buy music performed by black musicians, but that white audiences would too. In today's Dangerous Blues, which brings a walking blues sound and some scatting to the genre, Mamie is again driven to the blues, but in this instance, it's an infectious disease cured by the beat and saxophone. Frank Crummett was born in Jackson, Ohio in 1889 and would write the Buckeye Battle Cry, Ohio State's fight song. He was a humorist that focused more on recorded performance rather than artistic performances, but he was incredibly popular for doing so. 
His casual stereotypes of humor were very common for the time, but they don't age well, and generally betray an authenticity sacrificed for humor's sake. Esham Jones, our final artist, was born in 1894 in Colton, Ohio, and moved with his family to Saginaw, Michigan when Jones was young. But he would make his start in Chicago by composing the song We're in the Army Now in 1917. While his 1920 and previous work is interesting, Jones would go on to become one of the most popular band leaders of the early 20th century, especially in the coming years of 1923 and onward, where we'll have a dedicated episode to him. So let's stop talking about the music and start listening. Normally, at this point of the podcast, I would tell you that if you're not listening on Spotify, you really should be. But Spotify has changed how podcasts like Cunningham's Law Review operate, and so I no longer need to publish separate playlists to play music in our episodes. Through the wonders of modern technology, from now on, you just need to push the Start Podcast button, and you'll hear everything in a row without pressing another. The episodes with built-in music are limited to Spotify, so if you're listening to this episode through a different service but still want to listen along to the music, there's a playlist for this episode as well called Cunningham's Law Review 1921-4, and that can be found on Spotify but doesn't require a paid account to listen to. You can find a link to this episode at the Cunningham's Law Review subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review. We want to know what you think about our reviews and the music we're hearing, so join us on the subreddit, leave us an anchor voicemail, or reach out to us on Twitter at Cunning Review. That's all for Side A of episode 1921-4. We'll see you for the reviews after the songs on Side B. Welcome back to Cunningham's Law Review, episode 1921-4, our final episode of the year 1921. You're now listening to the B-side of this podcast, where we review each of the songs in today's music and talk more about the impact that these songs had. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, the Cunningham's Law Review subreddit will have a dedicated post for this episode at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review. And we'd love to hear from you through an anchor voicemail or on Twitter at Cunning Review. I'm Richie, your host, and I hope you enjoyed the music, or at least heard something new. Today we heard from a long list of artists including Ethel Waters, Fanny Bryce, Mamie Smith, Frank Crummett, and Isham Jones. Starting off our last episode of 1921, we look at Ethel Waters, who in There Will Be Some Changes Made delivers an average offering, in which she actually sounds a lot like Marion Harris. It's said that while she was working in Atlanta with Bessie Smith, Waters was told that she couldn't sing competing blues songs and instead ended up singing more popular ballads. Upon hearing changes, I'm reminded of that as Harris was one of the most popular singers and imitating her was probably lucrative in the performance space. Overall, the song doesn't do anything that pushes you away or really grabs you and receives threes in all categories for a total score of 15. An interesting thing that I've noticed and now I can't not hear is that so many of the songs that we're listening to seem to lack structure because they all miss out on the standard drum and bass line that drive pretty much all music today. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it, so I'm sorry about telling you, but it's a really interesting observation. Since recording bass lines and drums that you could hear in the same recording was probably very difficult, we've already noticed that instead you use a lot of tubas and other instruments. But that's a change that we can expect to hear as we move on to recordings from the electronic recording area starting in 1925. In Down Home Blues, Ethel Waters is really able to stretch her voice and show off some range that was strangely absent in the previous song. 
About halfway through especially, the music starts to swing and becomes much more interesting, with engaging melodies that draw your attention. In terms of innovation, this may be the first time we've heard an instrumental solo take over for the vocals later on in the song, which would be a common occurrence in lots of music moving forward. That solo adds some depth to the song and breaks up what can become repetitious vocals, especially in the final refrain the arrangement really becomes more engaging and shows off some of the skill of the band. The song earns a Micah score of 17 with 4s in mastery and authenticity, and 3s in the remaining categories. Moving on to Fanny Bryce, we start with her sole offering for this episode, a humorous song about a woman who feels that everything she has is secondhand, noting even that her boyfriend has been married before. The song was part of the Ziegfeld's Follies Act in 1921, and in response to performances, one critic wrote, quote, For clarity of utterance, economy of means, and a highly developed comic sense, Ms. Bryce has no peer on our stage. She got a genuine reception on her entrance and clamorous applause for her exit, and earned every bit of it legitimately. So now that we know two of the things that get you good reviews were diction and efficiency in the 20s, we're ready to build a time machine and go back to take over vaudeville. Overall, the song is a decent enough standalone outside of the theater, and earns 17 with a 3 in authenticity, innovation, and catchiness, but 4 is in statement and mastery for Bryce's deft execution of the punchlines. Checking in with Cunningham's verified queen of the blues, Mamie Smith, Dangerous Blues comes in fast and low, receiving 4s across the board minus a 3 in artistic statement. One of the first things that stands out right away is the professionalism of the band, who immediately convey that they are the relevant authority on what jazz and blues should sound like. Content-wise, the song is an ode to the blues, but in this iteration, it's about wanting to keep the blues, because they drive you to dance and sing, a position that would very much make sense for Mamie Smith to have. Earning a 19 of 25, Smith gets back on top of the boards very quickly. Quick note, I don't remember hearing scatting before this record, so that was very cool. Now, unfortunately, with Royal Garden Blues, we see what happens when Smith doesn't sing with the band, as she is notably absent from this track. We just heard that the Royal Blues can be good when the original Dixieland Jazz performed the song in our last episode, but here we get an overly complicated version that seems to be attempting to show off just how fast and how complex a band can play. While it may be impressive a little at a time, in an entire track it can get wearisome. The song receives a 4 in authenticity, but the rest of the categories list 3s for a total score of 16, compared to the original Dixieland Jazz Band's 20. In Sweet Lady, Frank Crummett's voice is instantly recognizable for its tone and clarity. He sounds like exactly what you would imagine when asked to imitate a 20 singer, and in his offering today he sounds a bit more lively than in 1920. You can definitely hear the jazz influence, which only proves that jazz styles and techniques were permeating all forms of music at the time. However, the source material and execution are average across the board and receive a 15 despite Crummett's vocals. We last heard the vocal portion of All By Myself in the first episode of our 1921 series when we listened to Eileen Stanley's version. Crummett's is more masterfully sung in terms of his clarity, which probably pleased the critics of the day, but the content is still about the same and receives a three. A strange gap in the singing near the end is kind of jarring, knocking down the catchiness score to a two. Since it drops out so suddenly, it almost sounds like Crummett forgot there was another part of the song to sing, and they left the recording there as is. It's certainly true that Crummett does not pull off the overall feeling of loneliness in the song, instead maintaining his own style, which helps it to be catchier, saving it from a one in spite of the missing vocal portion. 
but creates a lackluster performance in the end, earning a total of 13 out of 25 points. Moving on to our final song of the day, Isham Jones' Make Believe. It generally confuses me when someone plays a slide whistle for vocals in a song. It always comes across as silly, but it's totally possible, I guess, that it's from never hearing it outside of the context of children in the modern day. Maybe, just maybe, there was a time where slide whistle was a respectable instrument that you could hold your head up high when people asked what kind of musician you were, and you would look them dead in the eye and say, Me? I'm a slide whistle man, of course. Joking aside, this saxophone solo is great and sounds rich and bassy. The song is a jumping jazz tune that serves as background music, but is there to surprise you if you listen closely. It's nothing extraordinarily ear-grabbing, though. It just is, and receives threes across the board, but with a four in mastery for the complexity that is pulled off well in the solos. That's all for today's episode and for the year 1921. We're getting closer and closer to the big change in recorded music, the widespread adoption of the electric microphone in 1925, and the end of the acoustic era. Tomorrow, we'll start the year 1922 with 1920's fiddle master, Eck Robertson. We want to know what you think, whether or not you agree with us, because Cunningham's Law states that the best way to learn something on the internet isn't to ask a question, but to post the wrong answer somewhere. So make sure to find the Cunningham's Law Review subreddit where we'll have a dedicated post to this episode at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review. We'd love to hear from you through an Anchor voicemail or on Twitter at Cunning Review. If you leave us an Anchor voicemail that we end up using on the show, we'll review an album of your choice in a special episode, even if it's your own bands. If you like what we're doing here, leave us a review on your favorite podcasting service and follow the podcast on Spotify. And if you don't like it, definitely don't mention that to anybody. Until next time, I've been your host, Richie, and you've been listening to Cunningham's Law Review. Our theme music is a difficult subject by The Insider, and nobody else works here. Nobody else works here.